0: Right. Is that good? Let me uh a few things have changed since I was last year. It's great to see you all, by the way. And uh it's fantastic to be here, actually. What a what how lovely. I wish we could stay overnight too, but nobody's offered us any accommodation. So that's <laughs> anyway. No, seriously, we need to get back to our kids. We did say to Amy, our babysitter, that we'll see her on Wednesday. But uh, I'd like to do that, but we better not, eh? Yeah, they got school in the morning, three boys, that I'd love to have been here too to catch up. Uh, but anyway, one thing that's changed was, just a few months back, I went to the doctor, I was having some kind of headaches, it wasn't because of you, uh, or anything like that, when we arrived, and uh, he said, you've arrived at that age in life, whatever that means, is that kind of annoying you, this? Is that all right? Oh, okay. Uh, it was annoying me. He said, you've arrived, you've arrived at that age in life. And uh, where you need to go and see an optician, and this is the result. What do you think, guys? Hey, be truthful. I kind of feel like my old church history lecturer now that I've become him. You know what I mean? Anyway, but I do need them. They're a good aid. Yikes! Did you ever? Did you ever sneak a peek? Into uh, somebody else's diary. Ah, you see, as mums and dads, uh, when the kids are gone to school, and there was a journal or diary left on the bed at the bedside cabinet, did you ever want to open it? Did you ever open it? Or as kids, when you you know younger people, when your mum and dad are out, and uh, it's safe at home, there's nobody around, did you ever sneak into their room? I'm not looking at you, Ross, uh, deliberately, you just kind of caught my attention, but did you ever at least get the temptation to root through some uh, drawers and have a look at uh, some information? It can be kind of dangerous. You, did you do that? I, I done it a couple of times. It was, it was Christian sneaking, kind of Christian peeking, so that's all right, isn't it? You, you can do that. And, uh, but you've got to watch out, though. Uh, you could be in for a surprise with some of the things that you find out. Uh, I'm adopted? No, 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 no. I mean, it could be scary, couldn't it? Some of the things that you you find out in, in those. Uh, I don't know if you remember last year, Tiger Woods allegedly uh, snook into his ex wife's house uh, to read her journal. Did you read about that? Uh, it kind of backfired, or didn't he? He got his uh, recompense. Uh, was it. Was it this year when uh, his diary was found under a chair on, on his chartered jet uh, that revealed some things about his own life, especially with one of his uh, competitors? And he said some things that uh, you wouldn't like to uh, be—you wouldn't like people to know. Did you read about that? Ah, well, you can Google it. You can Google it afterwards. Read about some of those things. And uh, there, Sometimes it's a good thing. I'm not saying you've got to uh, do this now. You've got to go on sneaking around, looking in people's diaries. I'm not saying that, all right? So get, uh, don't get me wrong here. But sometimes it's a good thing. There was a woman uh, recently I read about that uh, looked in her daughter. She couldn't resist the temptation. A six-year-old daughter kept a journal. Does anyone keep a journal or diary? Nobody at all. I owe me one, two people. Is that? Hey, it's not, a, it's not a girl thing, you know. It's a man thing as well. Anyway, six year old girl kept a journal. And then when she gone to school, the mum looked at it and she was flabbergasted because for a few pages yeah, she'd written, I'm the ugliest child in the whole school. Um, I can't, I fail in everything. I mean, in her own kind of six year old language. And her mother hadn't picked up on that at all. She'd never seen it at all. She had no idea what was happening inside her life, this, her own child's life. So that was a good thing, that peeking, because that turned into something really positive. And she was able to, uh, she had a new insight into her own child's. Amazing, eh? some of the things that we can keep in a journal, some of the things that we can write uh, down. Psalm 40 is a journal. It's a page taken out of the king's journal, King David's journal. That's what Psalm 40 is. If you've got your Bibles, open it to uh, Psalm uh, 40. And that's what this really uh, is. Uh, almost every verse is filled with personal pronouns about me, my, I. David's recording the things in his own life. And the cool thing about this is we get to see... One thing I love about the Psalms is... They tell it like it is. They're, they're real. It's not wishy-washy Christianity. It's not pretending. The Psalms are all about, this is who I am. And we can relate to them in our own experience. That's one of the cool things. We can pick them up. We get to read somebody else's journal and relate our, our own lives. Isn't that true? Would you agree? And this is uh, Psalm 40. Well, uh, verse 1 David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, he turned to me and heard my cry, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire he set my feet on a rock. Um, If there's a title for this, I've given it such a profound title when Rob gave me uh, the passage to speak from, uh, the the title would be Seriously, Life is Sometimes the Pit's. And David uses this expression he, uh, about this pit, um, or as he describes it, and I don't know what version you've got there, some versions say a horrible pit in verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, the muddy bit, the horrible pit, out of the mud and mire. And uh, there's also another word that can be used for, for this slimy, horrible pit that has to do with... Uh, Uh, torrential uh, waves or a storm. And so we begin to get the idea, what David's talking about here is uh, an impossible situation. This is something, this is a muddy, slimy pit that he can't get himself out of. And it's a dark place. This isn't somewhere where you'd want to be. And it's an impossible place. And it's a place where you can't breathe. And as he's kind of stuck in the bog and the mud... He's got these, if you can imagine it, waves um, around his head. There's there's not even any breathing space. It's kind of like, if you remember the pit of Joseph, you remember Joseph's brothers. He came from a dysfunctional family, didn't he? bit like mine, did he? Would you say that? A little bit. And uh, they cast him, I mean, would you cast your brother into a pit, Ross? Talk about setting him up. <laughs> Hallelujah, I would. No, would you? No. Joseph's brother cast him into a pit and remember uh, 20 years later if you can if you can remember the scene uh, it all comes back in the end doesn't it you reap what you sow 20 years on the brothers find themselves in Joseph's presence and they've got no idea that this is Joseph he's dressed differently he's older obviously um this is an uh, he has a uh, an authoritative uh, kind of figure, they've got no. And he's speaking a different language. He's using an interpreter. They had no idea that this is Joseph, and so they continue to speak in their own language, in their own uh, mother tongue. And they say, "God is getting his own back for what we did to our brother. Don't you remember how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life?" And so we get a kind of idea. What the pit is that David was uh, talking about in this kind of sign. This is an impossible situation. Joseph was pleading for his life. He didn't think there was there was going to be uh, any future. And then also another way that uh, we understand, where we can get an idea from the pit from, is Jeremiah. Remember the life of Jeremiah, the prophet. You read Jeremiah recently? I read the uh, Jeremiah just last month. And uh, what a what a what an amazing servant of God. Well, in chapter 38, you read this passage where Jeremiah said a few things to a few people and uh, said it like he, it was. I mean, he said, listen, guys, if you don't get out of here, uh, you're going to face, you're going to be slashed to pieces, as you do, you say those things. And if you miss being slashed to pieces with big, long swords, then... Uh, The plague's going to get you. And uh, if you miss that, you'll probably die of famine. And so he kind of gives them a warning. And as a result of saying that, he he was being real. He was cast into a pit. He was cast into a pit. That pit was so deep... From that chapter, it took 30 guys to pull Jeremiah out. It took 30 guys. The mud was so deep. Can you imagine it? Being so bogged down in so much mud. 30 guys to pull Jeremiah out. This is the pit that David is talking about here. It's a metaphor. This, Although it's not literal, probably in David's life, the pit is a metaphor for our own lives. When you're powerless, when you're in a situation where you're powerless to do anything about Where you feel helpless. And life has lost its hope. It becomes a metaphor, the pit. Sometimes, seriously, life is the pits. Mm. I don't know about you and how you landed in your pit, but I do know this. I do know if you're not in a pit, at some point you will be. Because that is life. Uh, life is like that. And unfortunately, that's that's just how it is. And um, I don't know how you got there. Maybe you come from a dysfunctional family too. Maybe you've got some dysfunctional members in your family, or maybe it's you. But you can be in a pit. I don't know if you said a few things to a few people, and uh, you need to work on your relationship skills, and you're in a pit because of that. I don't know how you got in your pit, but I do know that you'll end up in one, And that we will find ourselves in these dark times in our own lives. It's inevitable. There are three questions, and this is uh, what we'll focus on just now. There are three questions when we find ourselves in such kind of difficult situations. One is, why am I in this situation? There are three questions we always ask ourselves when we're in times of difficulty, when things seem hopeless. Why am I in this pit? Why am I in this situation? Why isn't it somebody else? Why me? Why is this happening to me? What did I do? That's one question we ask ourselves. We always ask ourselves. The other question is, we say, well, how long am I going to be in this pit? I mean, is this going to last forever? Is there an end? And the third thing that we ask is, um, will there ever be any hope for me again? When things are so bad, when things are so challenging, when things are so difficult, we ask ourselves also, will there ever be any hope for me? Is there is there ever going to be a life for me again? Well, firstly, we ask ourselves, why am I in this pit? I mean, isn't the Christian life supposed to be relatively pit-free? Isn't it, Rob? I mean, isn't the Christian life supposed to be a pit for, Isn't it rejoicing? Isn't it all about hallelujah, uh, uh, glory, brother? Isn't that the Christian life? And so, why am I in this situation? Why am I in this pit? Why is this happening to me? I mean, at least it it should be happening to the guy over the road who is, is such a jerk. I mean, why is it happening to me? You know? And we have this kind of question, you know, we really struggle with the why me in the pit question, partly is because we live in a culture where um, we expect certain things to happen. We live in this production uh, kind of growth, expectation, success, expansion, we get our a-levels, our O-levels, our GCSEs, we go to university, we get a, a great job, and life will be uh, better and better, and we increase with momentum. And that's kind of what? That's the, that's the food that we fed. That's the air that we breathe within our culture, is it not? I mean, that's our culture. And so when something challenges those things, when things start to fall apart, when we fail some exam. When we fall out of friends, when some relationships fall apart completely, when somebody hurts us so deeply, when we find ourselves in such a lonely place, when we go bankrupt, when we lose our jobs, when we find ourselves unemployed and everything hasn't gone as we thought it it would have gone, it feels unbearable the loss. It just feels unbearable to us. We feel powerless, helpless. We feel like we've been cheated. You know, one thing, uh, one reason I think that God allows these experiences in our lives is this. Because sadly, it often takes this dark experience for us to come clean with God. It often takes a challenge for us to, uh, such a challenge for us to stop pretending with God and to come clean, to come face to face with God, and to stop living this kind of pretentious life. It often takes that kind of desperation. Um, let's just read uh, verses 6 to 8. David says, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, oh my God, your law is within my heart. Verse 7, then I said, here I am, I have come. This is what David writes in his journal. This is a big thing that he writes in his journal. Here I am, Lord, I come before you, there's nothing else I can do. There's a uh, a film clip I I was going to show you. Um, Have anybody seen uh, Good uh, Will Hunting? Do you like that movie? Isn't that a great movie? Well, uh, Good Will Hunting, for those that haven't seen it, it's about a young guy. He's a brilliant guy. But uh, in his early life, he was beaten by his father uh, so bad, he was damaged emotionally, psychologically. He was damaged. And yet, he was also a genius. He takes up a job as a janitor and uh, in, a, in an educational uh, environment. And he ends up solving problems on the blackboard. You remember these amazing mathematical equations nobody could do. He solves them very quickly, writes the answer and remains kind of unknown. He wants it that way. But he's also got this side of him, Will, that, uh, is just rebellious. I mean, he just wants to fight with people. And so he sees a counselor, a psychologist, that helps him. The psychologist is Robin Williams. And uh, so they meet, and there comes a time in that, in his life, in his story, when Robin Williams, his counsellor, has him, and he says, "Look, he says, Will, it's not your fault." And uh, Will says, "I know, I know, I know." No, he says, "It's not your fault." And he says, "I know, I know." He says, "No, it's not your fault." And he says, "I know." What are you doing here? Don't mess with," you. he said. "It's not your fault." He says, I know, stop messing around with me. It's not your fault. And he draws closer and closer to him. And he's almost in his face. He says, it's not your fault. And in the end, he comes to the point where he breaks. And they hug, they embrace. And there's tears. And it's a mess. And it's this point that David reaches right to here. He says, Lord, I come. I can't do anything else. I've failed. I've I'm here in this pit, but I come before you. I surrender. There's no pretense between you and me. Here I am right before you. I come face to face. And God would have us come to that point. Isn't that wonderful? God wants us not to live a life in a pit. It isn't God's will that you and I live our lives in a pit. That's far from it. God didn't create you in His image to spend the rest of your life in in a dark pit. God didn't do that. Don't think that. That's not what God intended at all. But what God does want is each one of us to come and say, Lord, I come. I come face to face without any pretense. I'm not interested in religion. Sacrifice, I've realized, means nothing. He says here, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. You, God, you don't desire that. You know, God's not interested clearly in how religious we are before people. He's not interested in that stuff. He's interested in this. Will you come? Will you come before God? However old, however young you are, will you come before God? And you can do it on this basis. Because God says to you, you know, I'm your father. My arms are this wide. I've been waiting for you for a long time. And you've continued trying to do everything yourself. I'm here. Will you come? Everything's been done. You can't work your way into my presence. You can't work uh, your own acceptance out. Here I am. It's on the basis of my son Jesus. His blood paid the whole price for you. You can come. Will you come? And so this is this wonderful picture. Yikes, in this psalm. Here I am, I come. Um, I don't like to cry in public. <laughs> uh, do you? Um, <clears throat> I know a few, uh, I have Kathy's here. I know a few American Pastors and a few American presidents that like like to cry in public. I know one British guy from the Northeast Gaza who cried in public. That was a famous spectacle, wasn't it? When uh, England lost, you know what? I'll tell you something. I cried that day too. Um, It was, and I should have. It was the year that I was going to Bible college. I should have read the signs. Anyway, and uh, so Gaza cried. That was a big thing. Um, The second question we ask very quickly is this: How long? Am I going to be in this pit? I mean, God, can you give me at least a date when this time of suffering, when this painful time will at least end? I mean, can you give me a date that I can put on my iPhone or something or all my calendars and mark on Give me an end date, at least something to work towards and I can grip my teeth, then I know it's over, it's finished. We ask ourselves, how long am I going to be in this mess for? How long, O oh Lord? In our own culture, yikes, waiting, it's just unbearable, equally unbearable. Waiting, isn't it? And if waiting was a town, it would be the other side of the planet to our own instant town. You know, we live with everything instant. Um, I like McDonald's coffee. Does anybody like McDonald's coffee? Uh, They do a good coffee, I think. So, cappuccino, you like that? Yeah, it's good. And you also get a free stick. If you collect six, you can get a free coffee. And you can also get a good Uh, quick, instant burger as well, boys. What do you think, McDonald's burgers? They're not bad, eh? But you can get them straight away. You don't have to wait, they don't have to wait for the guys cooking or anything like that. I cooked today, It took a long time. Um, everything's instant. And, I I, I don't know if uh, all of you, all of you won't remember, but, uh, when we used to go on holiday, one of the first things that we used to do when we came back from holiday was, uh, rush down to the chemist to get one of those envelopes to put your uh, film from the camera that you try to kind of get out without exposing, ruining the film. You put that film, you don't remember this, do you? It's kind of archaic. Uh, you would put it in an envelope, that film, send it off, or put a check inside, it was about six ninety-five, something like that, or maybe it was a bit cheaper, and, and send it off. And you know what? Two weeks! It would take before... You would count the days because you wanted to see those photographs come back. And then they'd always come back like that, eh? Kind of bent. A big bunch of photographs like that. Uh, and there'd be two of them that were any good. The rest, they were just rubbish. And so you paid... But now it's not like that. We have instant digital photography. And you come back from your holidays. You can, Why on earth you'd want to see your photographs uh, that quick, that soon? I mean, how can you forget... Uh, what you've just done for the last few days. But you were, oh, look, remember we did that. I know, it was just two days ago. Why on earth we'd want to do that? But we got instant digital photography. That's part of life now, isn't it? And the rubbish ones, what do we do? Deep, we, we delete them, don't we? Simple as that. Everything, everything is instant. Instant. Uh, uh, on the motorways, we drive in these steel capsules. If you're doing 70 miles an hour, you're going. People are passing you by. We have just experienced that two and a half hours coming down here. If you're doing 70 miles an hour, you're in the slow lane. People. Vroom. And we live. We want to get somewhere faster, quicker, quicker. Um, emailing. I think uh, emailing should be not email. It should be i-mail because it's instant mail, isn't it? Email is a nightmare for me. Uh, direct communication I like. Email is just a nightmare. You can never get on top of email. Is that right? Some of you relate to that. It's not like tennis where you hit a, a, a ball back and it comes back to you. It's like you're playing against 50 guys all hitting the ball back and the ball's all, you just give up. Well, I do at least. That's my excuse for not responding to Rob's email this last week. Anyway, but we live in instant town, don't we? Everything's immediate. You know what? If I want to contact somebody, I don't have to wait till they go back home uh, to call them on their landline. I don't have to do that. I don't have to wait till they get to the office. where I can call them, I can speak to the director on his mobile. I can send them a text. I mean, there are so I can Skype to people. I Skype to people around the world. All the time. Isn't it amazing we live in instant... You know what? I can buy some jeans that are already already have the rugged, cool look. I don't have to wait for them to fade and get kind of rugged and cool looking like you used to have to. It uh, used to look like the Waltons to start off with. But now you can buy them ready with the rugged look, can't you? Already in the shop. Brand new. That's how they make them. And so we live, living in this culture of Everything instant now, boom, boom, boom. Makes it a huge challenge for us when we face the life, a life in a pit, or a time in our lives when we're in a pit. It makes it very, 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 very difficult, and it feels like there's never going to be any, any end to it. Another thing is also that we face in our own culture. We have a question that is related to waiting around. How, oft, how long do I have to go on pretending? How long do I have to keep the smile up and pretend that everything's alright on the outside when inside I'm like a crumbling ruin? When inside everything's uh, going wrong? Ben Sherman uh, said that looking good isn't just important. Looking good is everything. It's about looking good. Ben Sherman some of you know Ben, put your hand up if you know who Ben Sherman is, that's it. Oh, I like it. You're with it. You're with it. <laughs> yeah, he's a designer. And, uh, anyway. So looking good, is it? that's a huge part of our own culture. It's about looking good. I remember uh, there was a Namibian lady from the town where Olivia's family's from, a place called Riaboth in Namibia. And, uh, there's not a lot in Riaboth, but anyway, this lady did really well. In her, in her studies at school, so much so that she won a scholarship to study law in London. Well, imagine how excited she was. I mean, this is one in a million in, in, for that to happen in Namibia. And so she studies hard when she gets to uh, London and she graduates with honours. She follows it and she becomes a lawyer and her ambition is to go back to Rehoboth, Namibia, and establish a practice there and uh, be the first one And she does, and she's successful. And the first day her practice opens, as a lawyer, she's kind of nervous, you know, how's it going to go? And she sees a guy uh, coming up the pathway, pathway, first client, possible client. And he opens the door, and so quickly she thinks, what can I do? What what shall I do? So she picks up the telephone and begins to have this imaginary phone call, as you do, because she wants to look good. And so she motions to the guy to uh, uh, to come in and, you know, sit sit down. And so she carries on with this imaginary phone call and says, you know, look, if those guys in New York want me out there, I'm prepared to help, but they're going to have to pay for all my costs. It's going to be expensive. I'll leave it with you. Get back to me. Yep, yep, yep. All right, then. Um, thanks. Okay, bye. And she says, sorry about that. How can I help you? He says, ma'am, I'm from Namibian Telecom. I've come to connect your telephone line. <laughs> Busted! We've got to be careful if we're living a life where it's just about impression. God's not interested in that. God's not interested in that. What did you put on your Facebook page? If you're allowed to have a Facebook, anybody 13 and over is allowed to have a Facebook page. What picture did you put on it? Kind of an ugly one? No, you didn't. You chose the best one. You looked through. And you'll replace it if you find a better one, too. That's how it works, isn't it? We live in this culture... About looking good. Listen. Jesus wants us to take on his yoke. Not the world's yoke. About pretending. And uh, pretending everything is alright. Hallelujah brother. When inside we're struggling. And inside it's just a real challenge for us. This diary entry that David writes. Um, is it, it, just so good. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He says, God turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and he set my feet upon a rock. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. Listen, he's one thing I would say and... Uh, Uh, This is an important thing. And also, uh, let me just read this other verse too. David said, blessed in verse 4 it is. See, I didn't put my glasses on there. I couldn't see the number. David says in verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn to false gods. One thing that, that we do when we're waiting in a trial is we look for solutions. We look for the nearest answer to our crisis, don't we? I mean, that's what we want. So somebody uh, may come along and say, listen, forget God. He's not the answer. Uh, God, there are other ways to solve your problem. God might not be it. There are proud people that uh, are living with that uh, philosophy of life. David says, and God says, don't do that. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, in the time of Christ, in the time in the pit, don't be tempted um, uh, to, for the quick fix. Trust in God. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn away uh, to false gods. Thirdly, quickly. Let me be very quickly. Do we finish now? Very, very, very quickly. The third question that we ask is, will there be a life for me again? Is there hope after this? Is there something beyond this situation that I'm in? Well, the answer uh, to that very quickly is yes. There is. Even though at times... You know, when we came back from South Africa, after um, giving... I thought I'd, I'd given everything that I could to working with young people in black townships and developing... Uh, sports ministry, and working in, in church planting amongst immigrants, I thought I'd, I was spent. And we came back to England, and uh, my uh, eldest sister was diagnosed with cancer, and she was unmarried, Dawn, uh, and she had three kids, uh, two to a Pakistani and one to a, a Libyan, and she was unmarried. She'd made a lot of bad choices in her life. And yet she was making her way back to God. She was coming clean with God. In fact, towards the end of her life, she came clean with the Lord. She came, I come. And she did. But she asked, and she said, would you be willing, as godparents of these kids, would you be willing to look after them if God takes me home? What do you say as brother? You say, before you've thought about it, you say yes. And we said yes. And so we doubled our family. In a short time, we had six Uh, for a while. And then what happened was the Libyan father was serving a sentence for unlawful abduction because a year before he tried to abduct his child, was caught at Heathrow Airport and uh, was in prison serving a sentence for unlawful abduction. Now, when we had the children, Dawn did die, and when we had the children, we ended up going into five, we had five different court cases that we had to plow through. Now, that was new territory for me. Uh, That really was. Uh, to be faced with uh, lawyers and barristers and the cost. You know what? Um, financially, over those three years, it cost me on a missionary salary, uh, although God provided 32000 Can you believe it? But that was a pit. That was a pit for us. I can tell you that was a dark place. I never could see us getting out of that. I, could, I would write in a journal, just a David wrote, I would write... How on when's the end gonna come? When is this all gonna end? It seemed like it was going on forever and ever and ever. But the end comes. And yes, there will be an answer, there will be a hope, there'll be a post pit existence that's different from pre pit existence. And God brings about some changes, needed changes in our own lives through these difficult times of being powerless. God transports us. As I said earlier, clearly God doesn't want you in a pit. It's not God's will that you're in this dark place. But it just so happens, seriously, that life is sometimes the pits and we find ourselves there. But we arise from, and this is the um, what you had on your uh, bulletin there, we arise with a new song on our lips. I wonder, what is the new song of Long Crendon? What's your new song? And Sometimes we sing many songs of other people's experiences, do we not? We sing songs of uh, times gone by. And what's your new song? Uh, individually and as a church, what's Long Crendon's new song? Because our new song is our testimony to what God has done in our life. Um, Richard Wurmbrand said something uh, striking. I met him years back. And he said, you people in Britain sing a great song. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. You know the song, eh? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. He said, that's great. But you people in Britain don't use the one you've got. What on earth would you do with another 999? What's your song? You see, out of the pit, we have a new song. Out of the pit, God gives us a new song. And it's a testimony. David says, let me just read this very quickly. In verse 9, he says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak Of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. I sing a new song. And this new song is our witness uh, to the community, to other people around us. That yes, your God is real. That he got you out of that situation. And he gives us this new song. Many will see, he says, and come to know uh, the Lord. I wrote a song, a very simple chorus uh, that reflects that reflected something of uh, of what God was doing in my own uh, life and heart after this. After a pit, He is the river, He is the river that runs through our hearts. Uh, he's the Lord who takes me as I am. He's the living God. He's the answer to our problems. He's the path, and He's the runway to heaven. That was my own simple song. Uh, that I wrote and is a worship song for me. Uh, My prayer is this, that God continues to put a new song in your mouth that is your testimony to his wonder, to his majesty, to his greatness. Uh, My prayer is that you would come in all honesty, that you would come face to face with God through your crises, through your challenges in life, that you own up, that you've just come as you are before him as he intends, as his beloved. You know that you're his beloved son and daughter. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that you're the beloved? That that God is crazy about you. That God is just crazy about you. Did you know that? That you're his beloved. That you're precious for him. Your life has huge value. Did you know that? my prayers that this become this psalm becomes your testimony personally and as a church as a fellowship let's pray shall we father in your presence thank you for this journal thank you for this diary uh, of david that uh, we can dig into without fear of being reprimanded we can look into and it's a help for our own lives now uh, we pray oh god that we would have a testimony equally uh, real, in our own lives. Help us to come clean with you, the sooner the better. Help us to face up to you, to, to sacrifice uh, before you. To Thank you, O oh God, for our Savior, Jesus, that's done everything. Uh, we don't have to work our way uh, towards being accepted by you. You accept us completely, 100%. We come as your beloved sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Lord bless you all.